Uh, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a people group, uh, a distinct people group chosen by God. Uh, God has spoken to your ancestors uh, since the beginning and you have a rich history of a relationship with God, and God has called you to be a light to the nation. You are this unique people group, and then God is, has called you to be this light to the world, and all of a sudden, a nation comes in and destroys you. You are now a people without a home. You are refugees, you are immigrants, you're in a land that you have never heard of, or you've never been to. You're in a land that actively goes against your beliefs. You're in a land that ridicules you for believing in your God. You're in a land that is trying to tell you a different story. Not only that, but the place in which you worshiped, the place in which you went and met with this God who had promised that if you would follow him, you would be a blessing to the world, that place is gone, and you have nothing. You have no church, you have no place. You have no real connection with this God. You might, as most of the Israelites did, probably despair. You might be confused. You might not know what to do next. And so when we come to the book of Psalms, this is the reality that the people are facing. The Israelite people are in exile in Babylon, and their temple is destroyed, their place of worship, their connection with God is destroyed. And so what do you do? What, what can you do? Well, the Israelite nation compiled these songs of David, these songs of different artists, musicians, characters in the Bible, and created it as kind of a virtual temple, a place where when we are in exile, we can go and meet with God. And I love the Psalms, particularly for this reason, is that it gives us a space as followers of Christ and followers of God to actually be real with God. It gives us a place where we can whatever experiences we are dealing with, we can find connection with the people who are in this book. These poems and these songs, while they seem like something that you know, we recite at funerals or weddings or all these different things, they are deep spaces for us to connect with God. One of those places is Psalm 23, probably the most well-known one, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, this, for me, has been the psalm that has gotten me through so much turmoil, so much pain and heartache. Because when I look at Psalm 23 in conjunction with all the psalms, I recognize that, that Psalm 22, right before that, literally says, God, why have you forsaken me? God, why am I left here alone? Why did you leave me? And then Psalm says, God, you're so great. Man, you lead me by still waters. You lead me into green pastures. 
I have found that in, in the realness and the rawness of the book of Psalms, I found a place where when I didn't have words to say, the Psalms gave me words. The Psalms gave me a place to live. And for us as followers of Jesus, you might not connect with the Psalms all the time. Um, you know, it's said that a lot of the Psalms, like mu- musicians, like connect with the Psalms because it's all poetry and stuff like that, and you might not be into poetry. But even still, I think for all of us, the Psalms has an important place in our lives. For the Jewish people, the Psalms were what we would call Jewish meditation literature. And that really just means that when we look at the Psalms, it is meant to be studied in a community over a long period of time. Um, You should be 80 years old and still studying the Psalms. You should be 75 and still finding new nuggets of, uh, of grace in these books and in these poems. And you're not supposed to just do this alone. Like, you're not supposed to just get alone in a closet and, like, just read the Psalms and go, like, that's great. You're supposed to do it together. You're supposed to build on each other's experiences with the Psalms because when you have someone who's reading Psalm 23 and somebody else who's reading Psalm 23, you probably have two different experiences and two different ways of looking at it. And so this is meant to be, for us, a way that we engage in community over our whole lives. This is not just something we do one time and think we get it and then go on with the rest of our lives. This is something that we have to go over and over and over and over again. And that's the life that that God has called us into to meditate on his word. And so we're going to meditate on Psalm 23. And for me, this is also good because um, there is this idea in Christianity for those people who struggle with anxiety called breathing prayers. This is a great breathing prayer. Um, It's basically you just breathe in, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We're not going to do that because that would take a long time. But this is a great practice just to, to begin to calm your mind, calm our minds, calm our anxieties, calm the worries and pains in our lives that might be troubling us today or this week. It's a place where we get to, where we really get to just sit and let God love us. Let God be our shepherd. So we're going to start, there's three sections, so there's three points, easy, three points to remember. Um, So we'll start with the first section. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the idea in this first section, right, is that the Lord is your shepherd. Yahweh is your shepherd. And if you were Jewish, you would probably have the idea of shepherd already ingrained in your mind. We don't typically have that mentality because I don't know how many shepherds live in Richmond or Mechanicsville. Um, But we don't really deal with shepherds much today. But this idea that God is the one who is leading you into abundance. God is the one who is leading you into safe pasture. God is the one who is leading you into rest. And only God can provide us with the abundance and rest. 
And you probably know people, you might be one of those people who have tried to find rest and abundance in something other than God. And I know that's true because I've done it. And you're all human too. We try so hard to find abundance and rest in our bank accounts, in our jobs, in our grades, um, especially at VCU, where a lot of them, man, some people lose sleep over their grades, and it's crazy. We try to find abundance in whatever we can, because the promise to us that the world gives us is that, look, if you are feeling down, if you are not feeling this abundant life, if you are not living your best life now, um, you probably just need something. You probably just need to like go on vacation. You probably just need to go buy this new tent or something like that. You probably need this subscription to Disney Plus, um, which I will buy. <laughs> but the problem is, we find eventually that, that that well eventually runs dry. There is never enough money in your bank account. And there will never be enough money in your bank account to give you rest and security. There's never going to be the dream job that will give you the purpose that you actually want and were created for. There's no relationship. Even the best marriage is not going to give you the rest and abundance that you want. Only God can. And the, the funny thing is, is that we hear this, right? We hear this, and this is, this is a promise, right? God is promising us that he is the one who will lead us to rest. And we just don't believe him. I don't believe him, right? Because when things get sticky and things get hard and life gets really difficult, um, usually the answer is probably that I need to pay my bills, and the answer to that is to make more money so I can pay bills. Or the answer is, well, I feel really bad, so let me go chase whatever thing that I can, instead of, let me stop and breathe and recognize that Yahweh is my shepherd. I am a sheep. I am a sheep who often goes astray. And when I turn back to him in repentance, he promises me green pastures. He promises me still waters. And this idea of still waters is, is waters of rest. Waters where you don't have to worry about where your drink is coming from. You don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. You don't have to worry about will this ever end. You don't have to worry about the things in your life that you feel like you cannot control. You can rest and be with God, and that's his promise. The same promise is echoed by Jesus when he ascends to heaven where he says, I will be with you until the end of the age. I will be with you until the end of the age. Jesus' promise for us is that he is the good shepherd, right? That is one of his great I am statements. I am the good shepherd, and my sheep know my 
voice. And Jesus promises us to be a good shepherd. But the reality is, is that we worry. We worry about a lot of things. We worry about almost everything. If there's something to worry about, we probably will worry about it, right? But the challenge is always to come back to this. Always come back to the fact that only God can provide us with abundance and rest. And that he promises to be with us, which leads to the next section, just one verse. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, here's this promise that, that God will be with us. And if you had uh, a different version, some of you probably grew up with the KJ, KJV, um, it's like, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I used to think it was like, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I, th- I always thought that would have like more like punch in it. It was like, yeah, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm not going to fear. Instead, it's like, yay, yay. Um, but this, this idea of that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? If, so God promises to be our shepherd, and, and though that is good and the promise is real, the reality is this, that you will have times where you will feel like you're in the shadow of death. And that's one thing that I think is unique about Christianity that a lot of other religions, a lot of other philosophies, I think a lot of things that, especially on the college campus that I'm at right now, would, would, would tell you, oh, you don't have to deal with that, right? Philosophy nowadays, and, and I think uh, one particular religion, modern Buddhism, would tell you, you need to rise above your suffering. You need to elevate your mind and see your suffering as something completely different. Now, that might help. That, that does help in, in some situations. But, but the reality is, is that we can't deny suffering. We, as followers of Christ, are not those who deny suffering. Even though God is our shepherd, even though God has promised to be with us, we are not those who deny our suffering but we trust the one who is in it with us, who walks with us through it, right? We can't deny that cancer is real. We don't try to just elevate our minds to get through it, but we live in it, right? This is the whole book of Job, right? This guy who is righteous, he's suffering, He's crying out to God, why me? I curse the day of my birth, is what he says. There's such great suffering. And for him to just say, no, you know what? I'm not suffering. Or, or man, this suffering is going to do something like, man, I'm going to be like just so awesome at the end of this. No. We don't do that. We don't look at the problems of the world and say, no, we just need to, to be a better society. We don't look at the problems of the world and just say, we need a better worldview or a better mindset. We just need to think positively. No, we say, yeah, the world is broken. The world is messed up. Children are trafficked every day. People die of drug overdoses. 
Cancer patients are on the rise. Depression is the number one leading of disability right now. And you can try and elevate your, your mind, and you can try and deny suffering. You can try and, well, you can try and blame suffering on the person. You can try a lot of things. But the only thing that really gets us through it is to recognize that, no, we are suffering. I do suffer. My grandfather passed away, and that, that hurt. And then a few months later, my great-aunt passed away, and that hurt. And when Rob asked me to, to preach, my, my mind was like, Psalm 23, I love it. It's the 23rd of July, let's do Psalm 23. And I didn't know that right before then, I would have a panic attack and start to deal with heavy anxiety and wonder if I'm even going to make it to Sunday. I didn't know that I was going to really wonder if I was going to be here. I could deny that, no, you know, Jesus is still with me and, you know, like, it's, it's all going to be great. Or, or I can recognize this. Life is hard. Life is hard. It might be hard right now. It might have been hard a year ago. It might be hard next week. But the reality is, is that Jesus is with us. Our comfort is not even that life will get better. Our comfort, the psalmist says, is that you are with me. And because you are with me, I will fear no evil. And it'd be a lot easier if the valley of the shadow of death was more like snakes. I can run away from a snake. That's fine. Or if it was a bear, because I know what to do when a bear is here. But when the valley of the shadow of death is something inside of you, or it's a deep situation that you don't know what to do, that you truly can't run from, well, then we fear no evil. Not because of the promise that we will get better. And, and the promise, though, is that God is working everything for your good. God is working everything for my good, and it will get better, but that's not what we hope in. Our hope is that God is with us. And it might seem really hard, right, to believe this. Like, I can't, Jesus, I'm not grabbing Jesus' long hair. I can't stroke his beard. And I asked Jesus, like, where are you, Jesus? When I was going through about the same thing a few years ago, I asked him the same question. Jesus, where are you? Where are you in suffering? Like, Jesus, you have to show up, right? Like, you promised you would show up. And I stopped, and I took a breath, and Jesus said this, Dominic, I am your wife who is holding you right now. Jesus, I am your mother who is comforting you. I am your friends who are praying for you. I'm your mentors who are fighting with you 
and I am here with you. Though you don't feel it, though you don't see it, I am right here with you. And whatever it is, it might be cancer, it might be death, it might be divorce, it might be children, it might be loss of relationships with close friends or family. God is with you. God is with us. Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us and he longs to be with us. This is the promise for us, right? In the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, you know, we, we tend to avoid it because there's a lot of scary stuff in it. Um, a lot of like lakes of fire and seven-headed dragons and, and stuff like that. And a lot of people will say, I, I avoid Revelation just because it's too hard, it's, it's scary, I don't want to deal with that. And usually what I tell them is, okay, do this. Start with chapter 21. Start with chapter 21, because in chapter 21, God says, behold, I am making all things new. John, the writer of Revelation, says this, I saw coming out of heaven a new earth and a new Jerusalem, right? I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I rejoiced because the dwelling place of God is now with man. The dwelling place of God is now with us. That's God's desire. It's not just to be with us in the hard times. It's not just to be with us in the hurt. It's to be with us at all times. It is to dwell within us for us to be able to bring his kingdom here on earth. And when you repent and are baptized, that is what we believe, that you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit that allows you to live in a broken and hurting world and bring God's kingdom here on earth. And when times get hard, because it will be hard, and bringing God's kingdom here is not easy, he promises to be with us. You can't feel the Holy Spirit, really. Like, you're not going to feel like, ooh, I feel mushy-gushy and happy all the time. It's all rainbows and kittens. It's, it's not. But it's, it's peace in the middle of a storm. It's the ability to love without compromising your beliefs. It's the ability to walk with people who are broken and hurting. It's the ability to be patient it's the ability to be kind and loving. God's promise and desire is to be with us, and so we don't deny suffering. And we look to those, those people and faiths that say that you can elevate yourself above suffering or just change your mind or try and get rid of suffering through whatever means and just flat out say, no, life is hard but the promise is that God is with us. That God wants to be with us. That even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. And one, one last point on this, on verse four, too, is when you read it, 
Notice it doesn't say the valley of death. It doesn't say that this is what's going to take you out. It's the shadow of death. So, life seems hard. And it is hard. But the reality is that when you follow Jesus, it's only a shadow. Because God has conquered death. Jesus has conquered death and the grave. And so when we face hard times, it is only a mere shadow of death. It doesn't mean it's easier but it does mean it's not what's going to take us out. It does mean that we can keep going because God is with us. The last section, verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think one of the first things that I would say, and this isn't um, one of the main points, but I think it's still important, is this reality that we have an enemy, right? I think a lot of Christians live with this belief that, that when life is hard, it is just hard circumstances, and, and that is the case sometimes. But there's also a real enemy who, who absolutely hates you. I don't know if you knew that. There is a being that, that does not like you, that just wants to steal, kill, and destroy anything good or beautiful in your life. Sometimes a flat tire is a flat tire. Sometimes a flat tire can be an attack from the devil. If you are in a stressful enough situation, yes, it can. We have an enemy who is trying to steal, kill, and destroy anything that gives us life. And we would be fools to think that, that if we just deny the fact that, that there is somebody out there who is trying to do that, then, then we're living in ignorance, and we're not fighting the full battle. You have an enemy, and again, the promise of God is this, that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Yes, we have an enemy, but God is greater. Greater is he who lives in me than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is able to sit me down and I enjoy a meal in the presence of my enemies. I enjoy a meal. The message translation is my favorite because he says that I have a four-course meal of potatoes and steak and my enemy can do nothing about it. My enemy can do nothing about it. Again, a lot of Christians don't live in this reality that, that we are in a world at war, right? Again, if you want to go back to the suffering that is in the world, you, I mean, we, 
we would want to believe that, that, you know, children being trafficked into the sex industry is just bad people and we can fix bad people. Or Satan has his hands in the world. You want to think that, that the issues in all the world can be solved, right? Or we can fully believe and know that, that there is an enemy and we are in a world at war. And when you're baptized and follow Christ, you are a soldier. You're a soldier. And days don't always seem like heavy battles. But there are days where, where we need to know and remember that we have someone who is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Paul says this, that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. But it's against the powers, the principalities, and the spirits of this world. And again, you can, you can believe and, and discern what is a spiritual attack. But I think with what, what the psalmist is, is saying and what David is living through, right? He has a very real enemy, Saul, who is out to kill him. He has a very real enemy in his life that he can point to and physically touch. And so it's very real for David to know that, God, even though I'm being chased by this mad king who's trying to kill me, you prepare a table before me. I'm living in caves and I'm wandering the desert, but you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Not only that, my cup overflows. My cup is overflowing, and I think a lot of us probably don't live that way, right? Like, my cup is usually either empty or I don't even have a cup. And yet, when we stop and recognize, again, the first point, that God is the one who gives us this abundance, God is the one who fills our cups well, then we can truly say our cup overflows in the presence of my enemies. And for me, the big point with, with this, with verse 5 and 6, is, is this, that it's, it's not just a vacation, it is a lifestyle. That living in this abundance and rest is, is more than just a vacation, it's a lifestyle, Right? The psalmist says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, right? In the living and the, the breathing and the sleeping and the going to Chick fil A on Mondays because you wanted it on Sunday. It's in the going to work, it's going to school, it's all these different things. All the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. I am going to live in the house of God. And this is what I think a lot of Christians and a lot of followers of Jesus kind of forget and, and fail to realize about Christianity. This is not just about feeling good on Sunday mornings. And it's not just about living a morally good life. But it's about the restoration of your soul. 
He even said that earlier. God restores my soul to allow me to live in his house. It's not about just doing good things, right? Even though good things are, are good, right? It's good to serve with moments of hope. It's good to serve. It's good to um, have small groups. It's good to read your Bible and pray. It is good, but that's not what it's about. It is about this truth that, that your soul is in need of restoration. Your life is in need of healing. And it's not just about, I need to go to the beach, soak up some sun, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to be great. It's not about that. It's a lifestyle that every day when we wake up, we have to start anew. We have to do it over and over and over and over again, just like reading the Psalms. We have to live this Christian life over and over and over again. And it needs to be more than just, I go to church on Sundays and I go to small group on Wednesdays. Other than that, I just kind of do my own thing. No, it's surrender. It is giving your whole life and your whole lifestyle that, that you once lived in, the lifestyle that you tried to find rest and abundance in, and laying it before Jesus and saying, Jesus, here it is. Here's my life. Take it all. Like, it's all yours. Like, I want your lifestyle, right? And, and for me, this, this comes into play when, when Jesus comes onto the scene and he starts his ministry. He opens a scroll, a scroll is handed to him, and he opens it. And he says this about his coming. It's a scroll of Isaiah, and I'll read in I, Isaiah. It's Isaiah 61. And Jesus says this about his ministry and what he came to do here on earth, right? He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh, that he may be glorified. This is what Jesus says about his ministry. Does that sound like coming to church on Sunday morning and that being it? No. No, it sounds like he came to make war against an enemy, to bind up your broken heart, to set each one of us free, and to let us and allow us to live this life of rest and abundance that he wants for each one of us. And again, I'm not saying that, 
look, if you're convicted to go sell all your things and go be a shepherd or go live in a green pasture somewhere, I'm not saying that's what you should do. Um, I'm not saying that you need to uh, stop working. I'm not saying that you need to give up Netflix or Disney because I love Bluey and honestly, I'm not giving that up. I'm not saying that you need to... I'm not saying that you need to stop doing what God has given us. I, again, Bluey is honestly a godsend. What I am saying is that we need to stop finding rest and trying to find abundance in these things, right? Look, if you make six figures, that's awesome. Make six figures. But don't look to your money or your bank account for rest. One of the things I, one of my favorite conversations that I have with college students is when we finally get to the level of relationship, um, and I think, Adam, I think we've gotten to that point sometimes, um, but one of my students is here. I'm calling him out just because I like making him feel awkward. Um, one of the, my favorite conversations to have is, is the conversation of identity and, and who we are and how many times when I hear students say that my identity is school, or it's my job, or it's how much money I'll make, or it's the friends that I have, it's the sport that I play, it is the things that I do. Those are my favorite conversations because that's when we get to what is real and what is true about each one of us, that your identity is not tied to anything here on earth. It is not tied to your marriage. It is not tied to your job. It is not tied to whatever you do. It is tied to God and God alone. That you are his beloved. That you are his child and that he is well pleased with you. He's well pleased even when you don't get things right. He's well pleased with you when you do not parent the right way or when you yell at your kids or, mom, when you throw a hamper at your child. Um, one time too many. Um, he is pleased with you when, when you fall back into pornography. He's pleased when you, when you are trying to stop drinking but you have a beer He's pleased with you when you don't see your husband or your wife. He's pleased with you. And he wants you to come to him in repentance. He wants you to be a sheep. Yes, sheep are dumb and they go astray. But God's promise for each one of us is that he is our shepherd and he will be with us. He is a good shepherd. So remember that only God can give that abundance and rest that we don't deny our suffering and that it's more than just a vacation. It's more than just coming to church on Sunday. It's more than just being a good moral person. It's a new way of living. It's a new life that Christ came to give each one of us. It is a broken heart that Christ is promised to bind up within us. And that God's ultimate desire for each one of us is to be with us and to dwell with us. Let's pray. 
God, sometimes we don't know what that means, and sometimes it is really hard to believe. Sometimes it's really hard to know and understand that you have actually come to give us life and life abundant when we have an enemy. So God, I just ask that you would heal, that you would heal our hearts towards you. God, that every place that we have tried to chase after relationships, that we've tried to chase after money or power, whatever, God, that we would be able to lay it down and surrender it to you and just come and be a sheep because you have promised green pastures and still waters. God, this prayer is for me as much as it is for everyone else to just trust that when we are in the valleys, that you promise to be with us. That when we feel like we can't even move, that you have put people in our life to carry us. That even darkness must pass. And when the sun shines, it shines out so much clearer. And so we're just asking for that, for that trust in you, Jesus. Because you love it when we are dependent on you. You love it when we come to you. And so we do. We come to you now with our broken hearts, needing to be bound up, needing to be set free. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen.